0: Welcome, welcome, everyone, to another episode of the Bastards of Boston Baseball. Shout out to any new listeners who are joining us for the very first time. We're happy to have you on board. For those of you who have been here from the start, you already know the drill. We live and die by this team just like the rest of you, and we make no apologies for that. I am your host, Jason Kelly, coming to you from Canton, Massachusetts. If you want to find us on Twitter, you can find the podcast account at Bastards underscore Boston. Joining me on the show tonight from Rudding, Pennsylvania, is Micah Storms. Micah, how you doing?
1: Jason, I'm here. I'm hanging on by a thread with this Red Sox season. Um, I hate the idea that winter is coming. Uh, I don't like it because that's six months without Red Sox baseball, but if I'm being completely honest, I am 100% ready for this season to end. the The whole month of September has just been non-competitive pitching staff, just being awful, the offense getting shut out. I just it's hard to watch these games. Um, I don't remember a September where I feel like I've been this disinterested in Red Sox baseball. Um, I know we had the the Bloom firing and that kind of feel like kind of rejuvenated the fan base for maybe a three day period, but then then you go back to this team that just is not competitive and it's been really hard to watch.
0: I'm with you. Yeah. And, you know, it's that time of year, your your team's out of it and you just say, all right, I'm going to tune in to watch the kids play. But I'm um, and I will, I'll, you know, I'll tune in to watch Rafaela and Emmanuel Valdez and William Abreu. I'm not tuning in to watch Rob Ruff Snyder play DH. I got, I'm all set there. So, yeah, it's it's been it's been a tough watch lately and uh, mercifully season is almost over. Also with us on the show tonight from Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, by way of Wyndham, Maine, is Terry Cushman. Terry, how are you?
2: I am just looking forward to playoff baseball at this point, and then hopefully by the end of that, or maybe even halfway through it, we might know who our uh, GM uh, is going to be, or president of baseball ops, whatever fancy title. They want to give him. But I just want to point something out real quick before we get started here. The Red Sox aren't tanking right now. There's no tanking going on. Everybody is making their starts. Every starting pitcher, including Sale, Bayo, they're all making their starts. Um, you can't even blame it on the kids. Rafael is hitting close to 300. Willier Abreu is hitting 371. <laughs> So there's no tanking going on here. This is this is the same crappy baseball team. And whatever the win total ends up being, I know that's a sore subject here uh, for, for one of the three of us who may have had money on that. But, um, you know, we're 76 wins right now. I Best case is probably 78. I'm just assuming we'll do no more than split at the very best uh, with the Orioles. But, um It's bad. It's just, it's just, it was a bad team. And it's my opinion that we overachieved. Like we were winning games. We probably had no business. I mean, Jaron Duran was worth several wins and yeah. So are you guys, before we do get started, are you guys like, now that you've had time to like take a deep breath and the dust has settled, are you guys kind of more glad Bloom got fired now after the fact? Just now that we've had time to reflect.
0: I honestly, I am. And hearing the comments from Kenley Jansen uh, today really solidified that for me because we heard this at the deadline. We heard Justin Turner, Raphael Devers both say, we need help. We need pitching. Like they were asking Bloom to make a move and he didn't. And then the pro Bloom people came back and said, well, who cares what the players think? You can't always do what the players say. Like that's stupid. Hearing Kenley Jansen, who is a World Series champion, who's a future Hall of Fame closer, come out and say, yeah, I was disappointed, which is the fancy and nice player way of saying pissed off that they didn't add at the deadline. Yeah, I feel even better about it because at the end of the day, it just he was not the guy to make the move to put you over the top. He was the guy to build up your farm system. He was the guy to, you know, improve your your prospect ranking and get you close. But he was never going to be the guy to pull the trigger on a big move to get you over the top. So at the end of the day, yeah, I after some reflection, hearing some more commentary about it, yeah, I still feel good about it.
1: Yeah, I'm with Jason. I, I mean, I definitely was for a while there. I was definitely pro Bloom. Um, but I think as more has come out about just – You know, how he was hesitant to make decisions. And then you heard about the Miami situation where you could have gotten a really young, controllable pitcher for Justin Turner, and the fact that they did absolutely nothing at the deadline. And, you know, that was the second straight year, and, you know, they could have really added a key piece moving forward. It's like if you're not, if you're not going to, build for the future then go for it and we just we didn't see anything and the more that comes out the more i'm happy that there's going to be somebody new calling the shots and um I, I just want september baseball to be fun again and i don't think other than 2021 and if you really go back to that season that was some stressful you know games towards the end because they really weren't playing well it just it, it doesn't feel like this team has hit their stride in September since they won the world series in 18. And that's now kind of a long time ago. (laughs) It's been a while. So I just, uh, I, you can't ride 18 any longer. They they need to move forward and I'm ready for um, somebody to take them in a different direction.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, it's telling that their record in August under Bloom's tenure was awful. So after every trade deadline, they got worse because he just was either making the wrong moves or like this year, not making enough. So, you know, that that shows you a lot right there. And some teams that did make moves at the deadline are going to be playing playoff baseball in a week. So that's the difference. Um, so with that, we usually do our top five, bottom five on this show for every series. Um, it was a two-game set against the Rays. The Red Sox got their asses kicked. We're not going to bore you with the bottom five of these two games. We decided to go a little bit different. We're going to give you the five players who were responsible for the Red Sox missing the playoffs this year. The five players who we feel like disappointed us the most, who did not deliver enough, and who are the key reasons why the Red Sox will not be playing October baseball. Um, So we will start with number five on the list. Terry, you're in the leadoff spot. Who do we got?
2: Number five is going to be Kike Hernandez, who was one of the worst shortstops we've ever seen. In fact, I don't I can't even think of one that was worse, to be honest. Uh, You'd have to go back to at least the 90s. And if I'm being completely honest, I wasn't I wasn't worried about it you know I figured it would be okay I mean Xander wasn't great either I mean Xander at one point last year was like negative 13 or 14 defensive runs saved and then that number came up a bit uh still wasn't great but it wasn't that bad so I just figured as long as he's no worse than Xander you know it could it, it can't be that bad and he was absolutely terrible um, his um, batting line uh, in Boston also suffered probably as a result of, you know, the stress of struggling with the, the defensive aspect of being a shortstop. But he only hit 222 with a 279 on base uh, with just a three, 320 slugging percentage. So just nothing but awful all across the board uh you know offensively as well presently with the dodgers he's hitting a more you know palatable 263 with a 312 uh, on base so um definitely i think the change of scenery helped him but while he was with boston he did us no favors every throw to first base you're you're holding your breath and and part of the problem, Casas, you know, had some struggles as well, but Kike was still terrible, and um, I did, I couldn't have foreseen that he was going to be bad all around as he was. Micah.
1: Yeah, I think Terry summed that up perfectly. I. Did not see a season like this coming for Kike. I really thought it was going to be a bounce back because he dealt with the hip injury last year. Um, so I thought, you know, if he comes in healthy, he could really help this team. He's just not a shortstop. Um, so I guess, you know, some of that is just on, and I think it's probably going to be a theme throughout this, you know, five player list, but it's on Bloom for putting him in a situation that, you know, he just wasn't ready for and he's just not an adequate shortstop there uh maybe he was able to do it a couple years ago with the dodgers but he's getting older and uh his throwing is just as terry said it's just you hold your breath and you should never do that with your your shortstop um so you know i know trevor story has struggled offensively but every time he throws the ball to first base i just i don't hold my breath which is wonderful um but offensively i mean i felt like you could either predict a, a really high, shallow fly ball to center or a strikeout, and um, it just it didn't work this year. Um, if he was the center fielder all season long, I think I'd be kind of curious. Would that would he have had a different offensive year because he wasn't so focused on his defense? And then you know the defense became a really big issue, and I would just wonder what the year would have been like if he was just a center fielder. Um but that didn't happen. And he 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 was just terrible. It was it was just I've never seen a defensive season that bad. Um so you know I, I'll always be a Kike fan, but um I don't miss him on this team anymore.
0: He was brutal. Yeah he was brutal to watch. Defensively he was an absolute disaster. And yeah I wonder too like how different would the season have been if he had just been the center fielder, but you know, then you don't bring in Adam Duvall and then you maybe don't see the emergence of Jaron Duran. So there's a whole another side thing there. Things kind of shook out the way they did for a reason. Um, But yeah. Oh my God. I mean, every throw you just, you held your breath and usually it ended up pretty bad. He was either air mailing it or, you know, shopping it into the dirt. Um, I've never seen a, a shortstop who, felt the need to throw on the run every single time, even when he didn't need to, more than Kike. I mean, even if Miguel Cabrera was running down the first baseline, like Kike had to throw on the run off like one leg, and it would be off balance and bouncing around. It, it just, his, his technique was just terrible. So um, he's not an infielder anymore. He was able to do it when he was a younger utility player, but he's a little bit older now. He was great defensively in center field, So it's just another decision by the front office where you go, why are you taking a gold glove caliber center fielder and forcing him to play shortstop when you know that like, that's not his strength. It just, it made no sense. And I think he suffered from what Bogart suffered from the year that they made Bogart's play third base, where the position change screwed him up at the plate as well. And he just didn't have confidence in himself. And, you know, mentally he was all over the place. So, His bat suffered, the defense suffered, and it just – it was time – when they first announced that they were bringing him back, I was in favor of it because I like the makeup of a guy like Kike Hernandez, particularly if you plan to be a playoff team. That's the guy I want in my dugout. That's the guy I want in my locker room. If my team's going to the playoffs, I want Kike Hernandez on my roster because he's a playoff performer. But eventually it just – the defensive woes and everything else at shortstop, it just – it was time to, you know, to part ways. Um, you know, they dealt him away basically for nothing. That's fine. It it was time to move on. And, you know, by dealing him away, you got a better look at guys like Emmanuel Valdez and, you know, some of these other young kids who I think could be part of your future. So, um, I, I don't miss him either. I think that he should just probably just stay with the Dodgers the rest of his career, if they'll allow it, because I think that's the only place where he kind of works, um, you know, he was great last year. This year, it was just, it wasn't working. And he cost you a ton of games with not just his defense, but with his bat as well. So um, I have no problem with him being out of there. Uh, Mike, any other final thoughts?
1: Didn't it feel like when Kike made an error, it just, like the floodgates opened, it felt like every single time. Like the game shifted on every single error. And I just don't recall that ever. Like, you know, Devers makes a lot of errors. It doesn't feel like the game shifts every single time, but Kike just made the worst errors in the worst time possible. It just, it, and it just happened over and over and over again. It was just, it was terrible. <laughs> That's all I could keep saying.
2: Well, if you think about it, I mean, Casas was terrible in the first half. As far as defense, Devers has never been great. Uh, who was our second baseman? I think it was a Royal for a lot of it, but I mean, we just had a terrible infield when it came to defense. And I, I think when it gets that bad errors can be somewhat contagious, you know, and oh, now he had one up oh, now. He's had one and it just, it was just so bad. One thing I, this is totally freestyling here, but I want to bring it up because I'll probably never have another chance to do it again. Um, Bogarts, when he played third, I think that was Boris just getting in his ear. Like, no, you have to play shortstop because that's where your value is going to be. You know, shortstops are the most valuable. So he was at third and, you know, and I, it was probably a little bit of a distraction. But was Xander Bogarts complaining in the 2013 World Series when he took Will Middlebrook's job away from him after that, you know, collision with um, the... Oh man, Alan Craig at third Alan base. Craig, yeah. yeah, yeah. Bogarts was the third baseman after that. He no complaints, right? So I uh, I don't know.
0: Yeah, and at least, you know, when Devers makes an error, yeah, it's annoying, but he also might hit a three-run bomb next time he comes up to plate. Kike would make an error and we'd sit here and go, Oh yeah, and he's gonna go over four or three strikeouts. So yeah. great. You you just you knew things were bad at the shortstop position when people early in the season we're tweeting out, when does Yu Chang come back? Bring us Yu Chang again. That's how bad it was for the Red Sox this year at shortstop, which should never be the case. So goodbye, good riddance to Kike Hernandez. With that, we'll move on to number four on our bottom five for the year. And that is going to be Garrett Whitlock, um, a guy who the Red Sox were expecting, I think, too much out of. Um, obviously, they want him to be a starter. He got hurt to start the year, came back, pitched pretty well, got hurt again, was out for an extended time, came back, actually had a stretch of some pretty good starts where he was, you know, even kind of convinced me at one point, point. and anyone who's listened to this podcast all year, you know, I've been a big proponent of, I think, both Tanner Houck and Garrett Whitlock are bullpen pitchers, and that's where they're best suited. But Whitlock went on a run where, I think on I forget which show it was, but I I went on and I said, you know what? He's proved me wrong. It, this guy is an efficient starter. He can go seven, eight innings and and keep the pitch count under a hundred. And he's you know striking out guys left and right. He looks great. And then he got hurt again. And it was just like, okay, here we go. So it, it's it's going to be Garrett Whitlock is is your new he's your right-handed Chris Sale. He's great when he's on the mound, but he's going to get hurt, and you're going to be without him um and then he just you know he came back and it just wasn't the same and i just don't think that his body can hold up you know the the workload of being a starting pitcher i don't and it's you know it's not his fault i think the Red sox kind of forced it on him a little bit they had something great with him you know rule five guy that turned into a dominant reliever out of your bullpen i mean that's that's a gift that is such a gift you stole him from the Yankees too that's like even more of a gift, and you go through this thing where you force him to be a starter because your brilliant CBO doesn't get you enough starting pitching in the offseason. So, okay, let's force Garrett Whitlock into that position. It just, it never worked. It really never worked. So I hope to God that they realize this and they say, you know what? It was was worth trying, but you're much more valuable out of the bullpen. You've got the guy under contract. So what's he going to do? He's going to say, no, I'm not playing like, no, you send him wherever you want. And I just think he's so much better on the bullpen. I think whoever the new CBO GM, whatever they want to call him is, is going to focus on getting legitimate, you know, established starting pitching to add to your rotation. So you don't have to shoehorn Garrett Whitlock in there to, you know, to eat up five, six innings. You can put him back in the pen as a multiple inning dominant reliever which is what he's best at. So I just think the screwing around with Whitlock was, it was not worth their time. It didn't help them. He didn't turn into, you know, the established number two, number three starter that they thought he would be. And it cost him games. I mean, it cost him health. I mean, he he had multiple trips to the IL. its You can't keep doing that to a young pitcher. You're going to burn him out. You don't want to turn this guy into Daniel Bard or Jabba Chamberlain. You don't want to do that. You want to keep this asset and keep his value as high as possible. So I just, I hope that they realize it. I hope whoever they bring in realizes this guy is a reliever. Let's keep him that way. And that Garrett Whitlock is in your bullpen next year as a high leverage, multiple inning guy, whatever, you know, whatever best suits him, but I, whatever it is, I just, I think the bullpen is where he belongs. So the start starting pitching experiment did not work at all. Uh, Micah, what were your thoughts on on Woodlock's performance this year?
1: He was one of the guys that Bloom and the Red Sox uh, ownership group definitely kind of built the foundation of this team on, on, on his back. And that just collapsed very quickly. And, you know, you were talking, Jason, about that couple-start stretch. And that stretch is what I think gives myself and a lot of Red Sox fans like that hope of what he could do as a starter but i think we've seen over the last two years there's enough evidence to support that he just can't go every five days um you know 90 to 100 pitches it's just not possible and you know if they would have decided that he's a reliever going into this season they technically probably wouldn't have had to go out and sign kenley jansen to 16 million dollars a year I'm not hating the Kenley Jansen deal, but you could have either put Chris Martin in the closer role or you could have put Garrett Whitlock in a closer role and you could have used that 16 million to go get an actual starting pitcher that, you know, has a proven track record of being able to go deeper into games. You combine 16 million with Kluber's 10 million, that's $26 million there to go get a starter. So, um it just didn't work and i think now we are really left scratching our head wondering will this guy ever get back to the 2021 version you know he he had a 196 era like the year he had was just incredible and the innings that he would go out and throw they were the fastest innings cuz the pitch clock was was not a thing back in 2021 and it felt like every time he started the inning he was two outs with two strikes on the last hitter and it was like holy crap the inning's over and you know that year he gave up six home runs this year in less innings believe it or not he's only thrown 69 innings he threw 73 in 2021 he's given up 13 home runs you know so he's just a completely different pitcher at the moment um do i believe he can get back to that i do I do. Uh, the, the personal um, tragedy that happened to his brother, you know, um, he. I think he's a guy that just needs to get away from the game and hopefully he can, you know, rediscover just a joy for life and then come back to the game and, and, and get healthy. And, and hopefully starting next year, he takes off as a reliever. But definitely he is one of the reasons why this team with the injuries – Um, The fact that the rotation, they had two bullpen games and then the bullpen just being completely taxed in the second half. He's a big part of that because they were counting on him for a lot more innings than just 69.
2: Terry. Imagine if Garrett Whitlock was a Houston Astro, how good that team would be and how quickly they would know exactly what to do with him. And uh, then you have the Red Sox where it's just nothing but incompetence, really. Um it's just the Red Sox did Garrett Whitlock no favors. I don't really blame them for wanting to at least try to start him uh early on just to just to see, but he didn't start the season on time because I can't remember which injury it was at that point. Um There were three separate uh, injured list uh, stints for him. But uh, I think it was an elbow or a forearm or something. Or was it... Or no, maybe it was a lower body thing. He had a hip injury. Actually, it was the hip. Yeah, no, he just didn't recover fast enough. That's what it was. Yeah. Yeah, so they wanted to uh, give him a little bit of extended spring training. That's what it was. Um, But, you know, maybe... (sighs) they just didn't they just didn't help him out that much and when it was abundantly clear by May or June that you know he was having problems with you know the the workload of a five six seven inning outing, by that point sale was was injured Hauk went down on June 16th. And the Red Sox were in trouble. The rotation was was in shambles early. And to the Red Sox credit, they did a decent job kind of treading water for a little while. I mean, we didn't really fall out of it until probably the second half of August. But they had no choice but to start him. And it, it didn't work out. He, de- he did hurt his elbow uh, at, at one point. He had a nerve problem. Uh, uh, separately from that which was another uh, stint on the injured list and it, it just it all comes down to last winter not putting together a sustainable pitching staff and Whitlock was was one of the guys who kind of paid a price for that he's under contract for at least a few more years and then I think there's an option or two uh, in there as well so um, I, I think, now just, we can all agree, you know, it's, it's abundantly clear. He is a a reliever. He's never going to pitch more than a hundred innings. I I don't, I was jotting down some notes, so I I don't know if either of you mentioned it. He only did pitch 69 innings this year. Micah brought that up uh, on the pre-show. And, um, (laughs) so let's not, let's not Let's not ruin it, because I I don't want to keep hearing his name get compared to Daniel Bard. Okay, because that was that was a weekly thing for Garrett Whitlock. You know, you you got extremely lucky. How many Rule Five guys ever really pan out? You know, they the the Phillies took Noah Song from us in, in the Rule Five didn't didn't work out for them. You know, one guy that did work out and, and he, he spent uh, a couple years with the Red Sox is Shane Victorino. But it's very it's very rare that those guys ever work out. And it kind of worked out with with Whitlock. And we were able to parlay that into a semi long term deal. So hopefully they get it right uh, going forward. And you, you you got Martin and Jansen for another year. So that should take the pressure off of Whitlock. He's got next year should just be him getting comfortable, figuring out what works, which pitches he's gonna, he's going to focus on. And then perhaps in 2025, he's your eighth or ninth inning guy. And, and and if we're really lucky, one of the most dominant, you know, in in all of baseball.
0: Yep. And, he certainly was not the only problem um, in that starting rotation, for sure, which leads us to number three on our bottom five. Micah, who do we got coming in at number three?
1: Coming in at number three is another pitcher, and it's Chris Sale. Um, you know, with Sale, I, I felt very strongly that if the Red Sox were going to have a successful season, Sale would have had to have been at. Probably 140, 150 innings pitched, just a minimum. They needed him to finally be healthy and kind of make the money that he's being paid. Um, but it didn't happen again. He was on the IL for two months with the, what was it a fractured shoulder blade or something like that? Like the guy just breaks bones doing, you know, motions he's done his entire life, but it, he just can't stay healthy. But when he did pitch, you know, everyone brings up the people that are saying, oh, Chris Sale is still Chris Sale if you just take out the Baltimore Orioles starts. I've heard that argument a lot recently. And, you know, yes, he's given up five runs or more in only four starts this year. And three out of those starts, three out of the four, were against Baltimore. But that doesn't mean all that he's back to being Chris Sale. You know, when he came back from the injury, they were still working his pitch count back. But I absolutely remember the start against Washington, where they were in Game Three. They needed to win to win the series, and at that point, they were still in the mix. And he only lasted four and a third innings against the Washington Nationals, and they ended up getting smoked because they brought in uh, reliever after re- reliever, and uh, you know he just wasn't able to keep his pitch count down. And if you look at his starts, he's only been able to throw six innings one time since coming back from the injury and he's only gone more than six innings three times two times this year so like you haven't gotten any length out of him and if he would be giving you five innings zero runs start after start you'd be like well you know what it's it's five shutout innings or five innings of one run ball but it's been like four and a third two runs five innings, four runs, four and two thirds, three runs. Like it just, it hasn't been good. So if you're not getting length, then you're getting just below average starts that are short and you burn the bullpen every time he pitches. And I'm sorry, but you know, he's getting paid a lot of money. It should either be dominant or he should be able to work deep in games. And he's doing neither of those. And I'm just not here for the Chris Sale is still a really good pitcher. Um, Chris Sale is a five and dive pitcher at best, and you probably can book him for what he's thrown this year, which is 97 innings. That's probably, if they don't move him in the offseason, which I'd be surprised unless they really are willing to eat a lot of the money or you know do something creative. You're looking at a guy who's probably thrown 100 innings, because I don't see them moving him to the bullpen. I think they're going to run it back with him trying to see if they can find lightning in a bottle with him as a starter but he's gonna go on the aisle at some point and he's not working deep in games and that's the problem with this pitching staff is you look at Bayo even who can give you six or seven innings on a, on a consistent basis there really is no one and um do I think Bayo could potentially turn into that I do but it's definitely not Chris Sale It's not sale, and um, you know, I feel like I would be more interested in if he actually did go to the bullpen, and become this just nasty lefty um, that the Red Sox haven't had in a long time. I I don't know. I just I think the the Chris Sale starter experiment it's failed miserably, and I just don't see a path to it going back to even 65 70% of what it was. I just think that's long gone.
2: Terry. If I'm the the new GM, whoever that'll be. Brandon Gomes is a popular name on our crew, but um if I'm the new GM very early, probably within the first week, I'm going to go on record saying I envision Chris Sale pitching out of the bullpen in 2024 and the method to my madness there is i'm planting that seed in chris sales head and then if trade talks come up maybe the gm has a little bit more leverage maybe sale because sale has 10-5 rights so he can veto any trade and i think he had no trade language maybe it was a limited no trade I, i'm not sure but some type of no trade was was in his contract so but at this point, he's been with the team for over five years and, and been in the league for over 10. So once that happens, any player can veto any trade regardless of their contract. Um, so you can try to put him in a package, but he can veto it. So if you plant that seed and you say, I envision him more as a reliever, which I think next year is what his age 34, age thirty. Five season, actually, I have it up right in front of me. Um, Chris Sale is currently 34. He will be 35 on March 30th, so right around opening day. So I would say I don't envision a 35 year old Sale pitching more than 100 innings. He's at 97 right now, but um, just just set that in motion, and then maybe if if a trade comes up, maybe he'll be more open minded. To saying, okay, well, if that team's willing to start me, perhaps that's where I should go. And if there was ever a change of scenery candidate, Chris Sale would would be one of them. And regardless of whether he does get traded, and some people are quick to dismiss that he might be. But this is a bad market this winter. This is a it's a terrible market. So I think it's possible, uh, you know, he could be traded early on if perhaps maybe the second half of January rolls around and, you know, most of the pitchers will be off the board at that point. All the free agents, Yamamoto, Nola, you know, several others. A team might be looking at their pitching staff thinking, geez, this isn't this isn't looking good, you know, maybe we ought to explore, you know, making a trade here for a pitcher. Well, maybe at that point, Chris Sale could be traded as well. But I was, I've been pessimistic about Chris Sale since probably 2021. Like him pitching 150 innings just seems so unrealistic. And he's never done it. He hasn't done it since 2018 and he only pitched 158 innings that season uh, leading into the playoffs. Cause he had a, he had a sore shoulder. There was no reason to suggest he was going to do it this year. And that's why we have him on our top five reasons why we didn't make it because it was never going to happen. It was, there was no reason to suggest it. And was it fun to watch him dominate for what was it five or six starts in the spring before the shoulder blade thing happened? Yeah, it was fun. Was I shocked when he had this goofy injury and it looked like his season was over? I thought he was done, as far as coming back, but he he did manage to come back. Um, but he, he's just another another reason. And, and the, the thing that frustrates me, like I've essentially been saying, is it was predictable. It was predictable. And when I said this rotation at the beginning of the year, my key word all winter long was this rotation is unsustainable. Unsustainable. And he was going to be a big part of that. And, uh, you know, I- I'm sick of being right. And I-, I hope if we do have him next year, I hope we do keep him as a reliever. And if you want to start him Save it for the playoffs. Keep him in the bullpen, and then in September, ramp him up a little bit. Ramp him up a little bit more in case you do want to start him. Make him your your four starter or whatever. But let's stop being stupid and start being realistic and seeing him for who he really is and what he's actually capable of.
0: I agree. It, it's time to put to bed the notion that uh, Chris Sale can never be a starter. Or, or a reliable starter ever again, because the injuries, the, the inconsistency, the lack of velocity at times, it's just, it all points to that. This is, he's at the the tail end of his career at this point. And the only reason he's still here and he's still being shoved into the rotation is because of his stupid contract. If he was making pennies, they would have DFA'd his ass. That's the truth. So, you know, let, let's not act like Chris sale is some, you know, sacred cow that all oh, the Red Sox don't want to, you know, they don't want to get rid of him because of X, Y, and Z. No, it's the contract. It's the only reason he's here. And by the way, if you didn't have a skittish CBO, he might be on another team right now, but you know, that's a story for another day. So um like, and when you said, Terry, that like, whoever the new CBO is, you're telling him you're a reliever. And I was like, that makes sense. Cause my first thought was whoever the new CBO is. First thing I would do is go, okay, who wants him. Who wants him? Chris Sale right here. Come get him. Um, He's only got one year left on that stupid deal. That's what I'm doing because he has no value to you. I mean, yeah, okay, if you put him in the bullpen, could he maybe be a good lefty out of your bullpen? Potentially, but I don't even know if he's that good anymore. Um, I don't even know if he can do it as a reliever, and I don't think he'll be as effective because I could see that screwing with his mentality. He's he's all over the place mentally, so I I just – I don't know if he's even effective at that. Um, but don't put him in the rotation next year. Like whoever the new guy is, just build a rotation that doesn't involve Chris Sale. Because honestly, the the kind of teams that still put guys like that in their rotation, it's similar to like, that's what the Royals did with Zach Greinke this year. Because they had no direction and they weren't going anywhere. So like, hey, we like Zach Greinke. He's been with us for a while. Let's put him back in the rotation. And he went 1-15 this year. That's sank Greggie's record, 1-15. and Now, is Chris Sale going to get that bad? No, because Chris Sale can at least throw harder than like 84 miles an hour. But it's similar to that. He'll provide you no value. Even as a number five or a, a, an extra starter, he just – he's cooked. He's completely cooked. He doesn't have the velocity. And when he tries to ramp up the velocity, he usually gets hurt. So I just it, – its it's over. Like at this point, I, I hope they find someone who is willing to take on that contract, or even just take on half of it. I'm willing to eat half the money to get rid of him because I just I, I don't know where you put him where it makes sense. If you put him in the bullpen, I don't think he'll be as effective. I really don't, and I don't want him slotted into that rotation next year. It, it just I don't think it serves you at this point. So um, it'll be interesting to see what happens with Sale in the off season, what happens with him as, as we approach spring training, if he's still on this team, you know, what, what is he viewed as? I have a, uh, a chilling suspicion that he's going to be uh, slotted for the rotation. I hope I'm wrong, but I just, I don't know. It's time to move on. You know, it like you fired bloom, you, you know, we're, we're hopefully entering a new era of Red Sox baseball where we're back to contending for the playoffs every year. It's time to move on from Chris sale too. like, drop the dead weight, and get it over with. Mike, any, any other thoughts?
1: Yeah, I have a question for both of you really quick. Um, you kind of touched on it a little bit, Jason. Is there a dollar amount that you'd be fine with the the Red Sox eating if they could find a trade partner? Like, does it have to be if, if this team eats 50% of the contract, or would you be fine if a teammate, um, you know – if they only gave the Red Sox ten million dollars and then the Red Sox had to eat the remaining uh he's due twenty seven and a half million dollars. So if the Red Sox had to eat seventeen and a half, would you be fine with that? Or is there is there a number where you're like, ah I'd rather just have him be on my team?
0: I so for me at this point, if a team offered you that deal where they say, you know what, we'll eat 10 of it. You gotta eat the remaining 17. I mean it depends on what you get back to. You probably won't get back much, but if it's you, at least get back something. I I would entertain that. Yeah, I really would.
2: So basically, I'm willing to do anything to just get him out of here. <laughs> That's I just I'm sick of people talking about him. I'm sick of the the toxic homers out there that think everything's awesome um, with the Red Sox. I, I'm sick of them making their case all the time that he could serve a relevant purpose i would i would do anything to get him off um if you uh, if you do it early if there's interest in him early if they're taking phone calls early that tells me they'll probably not have to eat a ton of money if the deal happens late then we're eating a lot of it but if a team was willing to eat most of it if not all of it i would say give us a bag of baseballs in return Just have him. Good luck with him. If we're eating all but, say, 10 million like you guys just floated out there, I'm going to want a decent mid-level prospect, you know, uh, a top 14 or 15 type player uh, back. So I think it can be done. I think there will be a team that doesn't like their pitching staff enough that they're willing to take a chance.
1: I think I I would go so far and say that if a team would be willing to take on all $27.5 million, I would attach a prospect to Chris Sale just to get rid of that money because think about what the Red Sox could potentially do with that money, like $27.5 million and what is coming off the books as well and the fact that they were 11th in payroll this year. There would be absolutely no reason that they couldn't go out and get Yamamoto. Like they, there, there's no reason like that. Use that twenty-seven and a half million dollars, and say, you know what, we're putting this and even more and going to get Yamamoto or something like that. Like, you know, I, attach Blaze Jordan. Like I, I, I know people just love that kid, but it's just like, it, I don't know. I just think this offseason is so important, and you can't go into next year with mid-level pitchers like they need to get one or two big fish and to free up 27 and a half million dollars so that you can do that i i would be very interested in just saying take it all and you know you get chris sale maybe maybe he finally discovers it maybe you have a pitching coach that can actually figure it out with him and you know here's a prospect because you're taking all the money I, i would be perfectly fine with that
2: uh, my dream scenario here, and, and we're, I'm starting to freestyle here, is getting rid of Sale for all the money and getting rid of Yoshida as well for all of his money. That's $45 million you just freed up. There's your Yamamoto money, and, and well over that. But that that's what I would do. And and you, you got Duran, you got Abreu. Maybe I keep Verdugo at that point, but... I would, I would free up as much money. I don't care if they go over the luxury tax this year. I might not even care the year after, but I don't want to perpetually be over it. I want everything streamlined so that we're not getting penalized. We're not getting hurt every year in the draft you know, by having our picks lowered. But I think we're in a spot now where we can win and we can go over the luxury tax. And by the way, I don't have it up in front of me. It raises significantly. I forget what it was this year probably right around 230 235 eventually it's going to be about 260 in the next four or five years so that's gonna climb as well um, but yeah I I wouldn't I don't think both of those guys will, will be traded uh, most likely but especially if Turner's not here because then now Yoshida is, is more likely your your Dh but but um, yeah so that's my dream scenario. Uh, if uh, let's put a percentage on it before we move on to the next guy, uh, I would say 50%. And I think that's high that Chris sale gets traded.
0: I would, yeah, I would put it at 40. I'll go a little bit lower. I, I just think that contract is such an albatross. Um, and I, I just, I don't think any team really, I don't think a lot of teams will have as much interest in him
2: as we hope. So I'll put it at 40.
1: I'll put it at 20 I don't think he gets moved
2: okay and just to be clear if we haven't already he only does have one year left for the for the listening audience so I just think with one year left it's it's not a massive risk at this point you know you only have to be remorseful about it for the balance of the season but we'll see but i I did admit you know 50 percent you know might be high but I'm willing to go there
0: and, and one final thought for me on that, if if we're giving away sale, you know, and, and we're doing what Mike has said and attaching a prospect, just to add insult to injury, I'm going to attach Alex Benellis, who's the bum that Bloom got back in <laughs> the you Jack go. Bradley Jr. He's the trade. one.
2: He's yep. the one.
0: <laughs> because he sucks anyway. So, yeah, here, you can take Alex Benellis, another failed Bloom project. And if they want David Hamilton,
2: give, give him <laughs> Yeah, David <laughs> Hamilton, too. You want him, too? Go ahead. Yeah, go nuts.
1: Oh, my he, They might need he him. Do
2: that. He can serve a purpose if they get to the playoffs, because he can be their Dave Roberts. They got to yeah, get to yeah, the exactly. playoffs first.
0: He can run. He can't do much else, but he can run. So hey, he's all yours.
1: Could you imagine that though? Like the two prospects that you traded a legit big league player for, you then package in a deal just to get rid of Chris Sale? That would be just so ironic.
0: It would be hilarious. Is what would it be? <laughs> he would be
2: GM of the of the year just for that.
1: <laughs> just for I, that. I would I would commission a
0: statue for him that second he <laughs> did it. Yeah. Um. But yeah, we, we've touched on Whitlock's sale, the pitching woes of the Red Sox, and there's one person to blame for a lot of that. He comes in at number two on the list. Micah, who do we got coming in at number two?
1: Coming in at number two is Terry's best friend, Dave Bush. Um, I, we've talked about him a lot recently on the, the bottom fives, and I will be... I'll give him one positive um, thing to say, and it really has nothing to do with Dave Bush, but it, it's the hand he was dealt. Like we all stated before the season and like throughout the season that it just this rotation is not set up for a full 162 game season. And that's exactly what's happened. The, the pitching has not held up and it's just kind of been a train wreck. And they have a 4.82 starter ERA. And the bullpen's thrown the most innings in baseball, so it's been ugly. Um, and that has a lot to do because of the decisions that Bloom has made and, and the ownership group. Um, so that's something I will give Dave Bush, the fact that I would, not all of that falls on his shoulders. But, but a lot does still fall on his shoulders because if you look at the pitchers, where is the growth in the guys who have been here? I'm going to just go down the list. Nick Pavetta. He's still the same guy that the Red Sox acquired um back in 2020, I believe. Like he just he's good, he's bad some, and it, it just he ends the year with a 4.25 ERA. Like that's who Nick Pavetta is. Brian Bayo, he's taken a big step forward, but he's also now paused over the last two months. Could be fatigue. Don't know, but I don't trust Dave Bush as the guy to get Bayo over the the hump. Cutter Crawford he's been a bright spot um but still he's at very best a number 5 starter in the big leagues Chris Sale i've uh, t- taken a step back hasn't been able to be healthy James Paxton he gave us a flash but hasn't been able to stay healthy Tanner Houk major 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 step back Garrett Whitlock major 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 step back John Schreiber step back you know there's just there hasn't been somebody who's taken a massive step forward or you know we we didn't really expect much and he's just been super consistent all year long like there just hasn't been that guy and part of that falls on the pitching on the pitching coach you know he he's working with these guys and it's not just been 2023 but it's been the last three or four years where it's just been really really bad um I guess Winkowski if I'm going to put, you know, name the pitchers. He's taken a massive step forward, but you need more than one guy. Um, so the health of the pitching, um, and the handling of the starters, you know, not giving guys like Bayo a day off or, you know, skipping a start, you know, I just, some of these are just complete head scratchers and we don't really know who's to blame. It could have just been bloom all along. Could have been, you know, some Cora, but, when you're the pitching coach and the pitching is as bad as it's been, sorry, you get blamed. That's part of the job. And I sure hope that Dave Bush is not back in 2024. Terry.
2: I don't really know, you know, who who Dave Bush really fixed. I I, I just think Brian Bayo could be perhaps a generational talent uh, in the future. Um, Winkowski, I mean, that was, I don't know how much Bush had to do with that, but it was unexpected and it ended up being a positive uh, result. But when you look at most of the, the starting pitchers that came up, their careers essentially ended here. Not only did he not fix them, their careers were essentially over, you know, by the end of the, you know, the annual, you know, one year deal that Bloom always loved giving out. <clears throat> I I don't know if, you know, Paxton, if he's going to be relevant in the future and Garrett Richards went to Texas, but that was like the the last remaining drops, you know out of the uh the Garrett Richards milk bottle that that he had so and then you know we we saw Ryan Brazier leave and we all laughed and celebrated and then he basically became Chris Martin with the Dodgers those are the type of ridiculous numbers he's put up with the Dodgers since May or June uh Jeffrey Springs basically became a Cy Young candidate with the Tampa Bay Rays. Now they they broke him, and their pitching program has broken a lot of their arms. Uh, They've had three or four guys get Tommy John surgery. Uh, Springs is one of them. Uh, I think Rasmussen uh, was another. McClanahan, uh, you know, a perennial Cy Young guy. But Springs was literally off of our scrap heap, and they turned him into basically an ace so dave bush never really seemed to have the solutions and i think if bloom ha- you know listed out his top three regrets while he was in boston one of them probably would have been not replacing dave bush coming into 2023 i really believe that and i hope i <laughs> I hope he's gone, uh, in the next show, uh, for, I think that's going to be for Friday morning. We're going to be talking a lot of front office, uh, dynamics, but we know Cora is coming back at this point. I'm not a hundred percent that, that it's as a manager. It probably is, but I, I don't think they confirmed exactly that today. Um, but the fact that he's coming back makes me a little bit nervous that perhaps some of these other guys could be back. So we'll we'll see. But Dave Bush is like number one on my list right now for guys I don't want to see back. I, I would rather have Chris Sale back for another year and deal with all the crap that I just told you I don't want to deal with than have to have Dave Bush coming out of that dugout for a mound visit at least a couple of times in the last couple of weeks he's come out of the dugout uh, to talk to one of the relievers and then <laughs> less than 20 seconds later the ball went over the fence for a home run so it would be extremely detrimental to 2024 if if he's still in that dugout
0: yeah the biggest uh, indictment on Dave Bush is a list of pitchers who got better once they left the Red Sox compared to the list of pitchers who got better with the Red Sox under his tenure is like, it's a huge mismatch. I mean, you, you look at, you, you mentioned a few of them, but like Martin Perez is another one left, immediately got better. Zach Littell who we probably don't give much of a thought to, but he wasn't here for very long, but sucked when he was here for the, for the few times we saw him goes to Tampa becomes one of their best relievers out of the pen. He's going to be pitching in the postseason. Um, It's just Ryan Brazier is the most damning example because that guy is in his mid-30s. He's a journeyman. Like, we all thought, oh, he's cooked. He's got nothing left. Nope, he just goes to the Dodgers, who actually know how to handle pitchers, and now he's one of their better relievers. He'll be pitching in October. And, you know, Dave Bush, he just hasn't improved anybody. The only, the the best two pitchers on your staff this year were in the bullpen. It was Chris Martin and Canley Jansen. And those are two guys who have been around the league for so long that my guess is honestly, they probably didn't listen to a thing Dave Bush told them. They probably just had their own program set and they're like, whatever, dude. Like, we've been at this long enough. We don't care what you have to say. Because everyone else, you know, Bayo came out hot, started out great, but then he regressed. And towards the end of the season, he's looked like a disaster. And there was a start a week ago where it was in Texas. Bayo was pitching in Texas, and he was having a hard time. He was, you know, rough start, gave up a three-run homer. Dave Bush comes out to the mound to talk to him, you know, to whatever, offer him advice, quote-unquote, or calm him down. And the very next pitch, Mitch Garver takes him deep. And then it just continues to snowball and just fell apart. So that was useless. So you've got a young pitcher who his pitching coach isn't helping him. Tanner Houck is the guy that I was looking at as like, okay, it's his age 27 season. This is where he needs to take that big step forward. And even with the injury, Tanner Houck pitched more innings this year than he ever has in his career. Pitched a hundred innings and he got worse five and 10 with an ERA over five. He looks like he can't hack it as a starter. And again, that's a guy that I want in the bullpen, but if you're a good pitching coach, you can take a guy like Tanner Houck who has good stuff, who has the ability to potentially be a good starter, and you can get him over the hump. You can get him there to the point where he is an established starting pitcher, and he got so much worse this year. You know, James Paxton, good first half, disaster second half. And I don't know if that's just because he's James Paxson. He hadn't pitched in three years up until now, and – The wear and tear got to him. I don't know, but he got worse. It it just, there was no pitcher that took a big step forward under Dave Bush. And the amount of guys who have left here to go to other teams who got better, it like, it far outweighs whatever he's done here. So, look, you you mentioned Cora, he's, he confirmed he's going to be back. But as you said, Terry, he didn't say he'd be back as a manager, just said, I'll be here next year. Whatever happens with the coaching staff, I have no idea, but Dave Bush has got to go. Like, the hitting coach, I you know, I'm okay keeping him offensively. They actually, a couple guys took steps forward. That's the difference. Like, that's how you judge it. You look at Pete Fatsy, it's like Connor Wong offensively took a step forward. Jaron Duran had a breakout season. Tristan Casas, the first half he was asleep, but the second half he looked like he should have been rookie of the year. So that guy's job, I think, is safe. Dave Bush, you look at him and, and, you know, if you're doing a performance review, you look at him and you go, what did you do right this year? What did you improve? What did you make better this year? And the answer is not a single thing. So I I think he's the first head to roll. But once the season's officially over, I think Dave Bush is going to be the first guy on the chopping block. And he deserves it because, and Terry, you mentioned this on a, a couple of shows ago when we were talking about the pitching coach and, and the pitching woes of the Red Sox. He really is the worst pitching coach they've had in a long time. You go back, it's probably since the Joe Kerrigan days, you know, 97 through 2001. Look at those pitching staffs. The only thing Joe Kerrigan had going for him was he had Pedro, which I don't think he had anything to do with, to be honest, right? But those pitching staffs in 97 through 01 were horrendous. So he's quite literally Dave Bush is the worst pitching coach the Red Sox have had since Joe Kerrigan that takes some doing that's some pretty bad pitching coach right there. So he's got to go. He's got to be the first name that goes. And I I shudder to think that he could even potentially come back. I I don't think it's on the table, but that's like worst case scenario. If this guy's back next year, he's got to go. So
2: Uh, real quick, just to underscore that, I'm grabbing one more stat right now with me. Yeah. Okay. Well, I, I can grab it in a second. So um, here, here's how the rotation has ranked in the Dave Bush era. Uh, 2020, it was the 25th ranked rotation in Major League Baseball. 2021 was the best of the four years. It was ranked 17th. We had that fake run to the ALCS, as Jason has pointed out. 2022, uh, it was ranked number 23rd. So again, 25th, 17th, 23rd. As of this day, it is ranked 22nd for 2023. You know, Bayo got lit up. I Hout got lit up. So that that probably didn't help. So that's the rotation. Bottom 10 in the league in three out of four years. Here's the bullpen those years. 2020, it was ranked 27th in MLB. 2021, it was ranked 13th. That was the best it it had been. In 2022, it was ranked 26th, okay? And so many guys in the Bluminati, including a former co-host of ours, always likes to throw out 2020, you know, where they were ranked 27th. And I'm like, dude, they were just ranked 26th they were just ranked 26 in 2022 so you know it's just been absolutely terrible i'm trying to grab 2023 right here last i checked it was um it was 19th now i got it so for 2023 yep still 19th uh in mlb so we've never had good pitching it's never been good. And I, I do put a lot of that on Bloom, but if Dave Bush was a good pitching coach, those numbers would probably be at least a little bit better. And they're not. They're terrible. This, is, this has been, these last four years, this has been like the darkest era uh, when it comes to pitching in Boston. And I, I've said many times coming into these shows that this is the Great Depression of Red Sox baseball. And it's always centered around the pitching.
0: Yeah. And imagine what that bullpen ranking would look like if you didn't have Chris Martin. Like he's, he seems to be like the one that bucks the trend and probably gets them a few spots above where they really are, if, you know, for being realistic. But
2: well, uh, I think, though, the problem this year, I think the rotation was the culprit for the bullpen being so bad because Jansen and Martin have been great. It hasn't been the eighth and ninth inning that's been killing us. It's been innings four, five, six, and seven when the starter couldn't couldn't go deep. And you've had your Joe Jakes and a bunch of guys that I don't even remember because they were only here for, like, you know, Kyle Barraclaw, you know, was only here for, what, two weeks, and we DFA'd him. Um, so it's just been a bunch of no names coming in to eat up those innings and ended up getting eaten up themselves.
1: It was late July and they had, I believe like the ninth ranked bullpen in terms of ERA. So like they were doing just fine, but you, they kept doing those two bullpen games a week and eventually it's just not sustainable. And then um, you just, you get your Vera out there three times a week. It just, as a starting pitcher or as Kenley said today, a couple, that was what was needed and they didn't do it and it, the bullpen's just been taxed <laughs> taxed. You know, I, I want them to shut many of those guys down that are coming back next year because it's just not worth it. These games mean absolutely nothing. Put them on the IL. Go find someone in AAA, or I don't even care if they bring someone up. Like throw Pablo Reyes for four innings. I just don't care. Just don't hurt guys like Winkowski in these just meaningless games.
0: Micah, you're such a hater. You you mean to tell me that Mauricio Yovera, and Nick Robertson didn't do it for you as trade deadline acquisitions? Those guys were meant to be parts of your future. Those were you know hidden gems. Come on.
1: You know, Terry would enjoy this. Today I made a tweet just talking about the uh, the Kenley quote, and I said, you know, I, I appreciate him calling the Red Sox essentially out. I mean, he was calling Bloom out. But, you know, I believe that when Jansen was signed, he was told, and we heard it from Kennedy, that the Red Sox were going to compete this year. Kennedy said they were going to win the World Series. So, you know, that was probably the pitch to get Jansen to sign here And he's only used to winning by playing with the Dodgers all those years. And when you're two games out of a playoff spot and you don't do anything to improve the roster and the players on the team are saying, we need to improve the roster. I was like, I was glad that Kenley came out and said that. And it just, just holding the organization accountable for, you said we were going to do this and we were right in the mix and you were not willing to do anything. Not part with any prospects, nothing. And I appreciated that. And someone called me out and said that Terry's been rubbing off on me too much. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. Oh man, The truth hurts sometimes.
2: I've had know? quite a week, too, because um, I was the number one seed in the Boston Red Sox most hated um, Twitter account tournament. So I've got Dr. Jim next. I'm optimistic uh, I'll win there. And I want to win this. And they're they're kind of mad that I'm rooting for myself and essentially campaigning for myself because I'm like, I'm manipulating the vote now, you know, because I'm getting popular votes in there with, you know, people that legitimately hate me. I If I get by Dr. Jim, I'm going to have Shaughnessy. So <laughs> uh, I might need a lot of help uh, there because I just he's just so tenured uh, compared to me. But yeah, we'll see.
0: That that would be an all time matchup, Terry versus Shank. Yeah, <laughs> yep. That that will be a good one. Well, uh, we'll we'll give you an opportunity to help your case here because we're going to give you the number one player who uh, is responsible for the Red Sox failures this season. So Terry, take it away. Who's number one on the list?
2: I think it was uh, his name was Don McLean saying American Pie. You know, and, and about how the day the music died. Well, people accuse me of having been anti Bloom all along, and I, I really wasn't. Was I critical about a lot of things? Yeah. But I was never 100% out on Bloom until he signed Cory Kluber. And to me, that was the day the music died, as far as the Bloom era goes. And Cory Kluber was. Not only bad, but he was worse than I ever thought he would be. I figured I figured he was gonna be about as bad as Rich Hill was in twenty twenty two. And as bad as Hill was, he still continued to make his starts. And with Kluber, it was just so bad. They had to get him out of there. I still don't know if, if those in, that injury was legit to his shoulder. Maybe it was. I don't know. But you know, the people talk about the phantom injury to get a guy out of a rotation, and that that's kind of what it felt like. So I, I, I don't really know. But but unlike Rich Hill, who could still pitch, he could still give you a good four innings. It might not be pretty, might give up four or five runs. Kluber was getting destroyed in the first inning quite a bit there, uh, in late spring. And it was just absolutely foolish to believe that this guy who had spent the previous two seasons in the American league East got rocked in every AL East park in 2022, except Tampa for some reason. There was no reason to believe he was he was going to be fooling all these teams in his third straight year in the division. The Orioles were going to destroy him, the Yankees were going to destroy him, Tampa was it wasn't going to be pretty. And this was a guy, I mean, we desperately needed pitching. I mean, I was saying all winter I Sale can't do it and that's what they seemingly expect him to do. We we talked about that earlier. Bayo has worked out great, but that was, that wasn't a given. I mean, he, he didn't look super great in his first few starts last year and seemed to start to figure it out, you know, as September rolled along, but even Bayo, it, it just wasn't a given. I mean, he was a wild card. Garrett Whitlock was a wild card. Tanner Houck was a wild card. When, 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 there's all that uncertainty with all those guys I just named. You don't go sign Corey Kluber. You do not sign a guy like Kluber and expect things to work out because you're going to get exactly what you got this year. Yeah. And Pavetta is another one too. I He's been up and down and he seemed to really find it as, as a bulk reliever, but the, he was another guy that, that we just couldn't count on. So to me, after the Kluber signing, not only was I 100% out on Bloom, I was saying there's no reason to keep him beyond 2023 because there's no – he doesn't have a feel for for starting pitching. He just doesn't have it. He doesn't understand how to build a rotation. So there was no reason to believe he was suddenly going to figure it out this winter. And I just – it was just so disappointing. And as I've said on previous episodes, the logic behind signing Corey Kluber was the same logic as as Garrett Richards 2 years before. It was the same logic. And if I told you and that wasn't a popular signing, I can't I know Andrew liked it, uh, Charlie and I hated it, but we were hoping okay, well this is just the 2021 thing. It's just going to get better and better every year and it didn't it really didn't. And the more of the Dombrowski guys we lost, you know, Eduardo Rodriguez, Nathan avoldi the worse we got as as the, the rotation became more and more bloom guys. I mean, Chris Sale is essentially the only Dombrowski holdover at this point. So Corey Kluber will probably forever be my one of my least favorite starting pitching acquisitions of all time. It really will, and I—I I don't know. I mean, if you could have got a guy in there instead of Kluber, that would have given you twenty-eight to thirty starts, one hundred and fifty to one hundred and seventy innings. I don't know. Maybe we, maybe we make it. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe it would have been worth an extra seven or eight wins. And I think if if we were sitting around like. I don't know. I mean, what's the minimum? I, I think the the sixth seed will probably win, what, 87, 88 games here to get in, something like that. I mean, if we were close all all along and, and you know, within a, a few games of it, I think the team would have stepped up and and fought like hell. But, but we just never really had a chance from the get-go.
0: Micah,
1: thoughts on Kluber? I hated the Kluber signing when when it happened because last year he started 31 games. So that typically pitchers start 32 games. So that means he missed one start. And you'd have to go back all the way to 2018, the last time he, threw, he made 30 starts. So for him to, to expect a guy in his, I believe he's age 35 or 36, to to make, you know, 25 starts after a, a, a big workload that he hadn't done in, you know, five years, I just felt like that was such a big ask. And, um, you know, he he's pitched 55 innings. You know, we just talked about a bunch of guys, Chris Sale, 97 innings, Garrett Whitlock, uh, 69 innings. Tanner Hawk 100 innings 55 innings like that's that's even worse than the other guys and that's exactly why the Red Sox are in the position they are in last year he went 10 and 10 with a 4 three four era I would have gladly have signed up for something like that obviously I think when the Red Sox signed him I think fans were expecting maybe a little bit more but he has three wins this year if the, if, the, if he would have given the Red Sox just 10 wins that's seven. That would completely flip the scale of where they are. And that doesn't even account if the team wins his no decision games. You know, so I just to me, Kluber definitely belongs number one on this list because he's basically given the Red Sox absolutely nothing. 55 innings and a 7-04 ERA. That is just that's practically zero value. He stole. 10 million dollars from the Boston Red Sox this year. That's what he did. Um, and I didn't see this type of a season coming from Corey Kluber. I that 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 this is shocking, but I didn't like the deal when it happened. And if you would have told me that he would have pitched 80 innings like he did in 21 for the Yankees, I would have thought, well, he probably gave at least you know fairly solid 80 innings. He didn't even pitch 80 innings, and when he did pitch, they were just absolutely dreadful.
0: Yeah, I was also against the Corey Kluber signing when it first happened. Uh, I remember, I think it was an episode either after one of his really bad starts or the episode we did after he was shut down indefinitely or something like that. But Terry, you put it perfectly when you said on December 28th, 2022, the Red Sox signed Corey Kluber, and it was that moment that I knew I was going to be going to be depressed about the 2023 Boston Red Sox. And it it was so true. And you could see it early on. He sucked in spring training. He didn't look good in the spring. His velocity was down. He was getting knocked around a little bit. And we brought it up. We said, look, you know, you paid this guy $10 million. He's not looking great so far. Velocity's down. And we were Talked down to about that. We were belittled for that opinion. Oh, you guys don't know what you're watching. He's going to be fine. He's going to be great. He was awful. He was a complete zero. He was worse than Garrett Richards, which I didn't think was possible. I did not think it was possible for Bloom to have a worse free agent signing than Garrett Richards, but at least Garrett Richards, when they moved him to the bullpen, for a little bit, he gave you a little something. Was it great? No. Was it usually, you know, not worth your time, yes. But at least he pitched. At least he gave you innings. He was a warm body out there that you could put into games. Corey Kluber, they had to hide. They had to shut him down with a <clears throat> shoulder injury and then just smuggle him away and you know get him off the scene. He was that bad. I just and, and that was, you know, that was like your your off season acquisition. Here comes Corey Kluber on a one year, $10 million deal. And I'm sure Bloom expected him to make 20 to 25 starts and be an effective back end of the rotation piece. And he never came close to it. He was a complete zero. In fact, he was a negative. He cost you games early on in the season that you maybe could have won. So it was just, it was one of the worst free agent signings I could ever remember. I don't know why everyone was so horned up for it when it happened. I know that he lives in like, Winthrop or something he's he's a local guy like yippee go go retire in Winthrop and you know have fun going to Red Sox games with your wife as a retired player because you're cooked dude you're completely cooked so I I just I never liked the sign to begin with because it was just it was like James Paxton all over again kind of like let's just take a guy in his mid-30s who okay yeah at least Kluber pitched a lot last year but like that's the best you can do that's the best you can find. You're not going to try and like make a creative trade. You know, part of high and blooms whole thing is that he's supposed to be the guy that can pluck a pitcher from another organization that they don't want and say, Oh, I'm going to turn this guy into a star, right? You, you don't know what you're missing. That's what Tampa does. That's what the Dodgers do. That was supposed to be his strong point. Oh yeah. No, this team doesn't want this guy. Oh, we're going to take him. We're going to make him, you know, a solid starter. And he picked Corey Kluber and made him worse. And yeah, a lot of this probably had to do with Dave Bush too, but a lot of it just has to do with Kluber. He's just, he was cooked and he gave him $10 million to come in here and lose you games and cost you playoff spots. So it it was just, it was a disaster from the start. It was a disaster in spring training. So if you couldn't see it in the spring, you know, you were just blind Um, because he was getting tuned up there. It it was never going to work. And God, I just, I can't wait for the new guy to come in, whoever it is. And for us to get like actual established good starting pitchers in here, whether it's by trade or free agency, I don't know, but I don't want another, we've signed another 36 year old bum to a one year, $10 million deal. At least we don't have to deal with that again. So Corey Kluber, complete waste of time. At least he's gone now. Uh Sorry, any other
2: thoughts yeah so I, I mean I've got his game logs in front of me he got lit up in his first start against Baltimore that was actually he was the opening day starter actually uh gave up five earned there um one of his better starts was his next one uh against the Pirates uh five innings just one earned run but then he got lit up by the um The Rays in his third start. His ERA was never below, let's see where it was the lowest, uh, 629 on May 6th against the Phillies. And the other problem with him too that just made him especially bad was the walks. In the month of May, he made four starts. And actually, I think his final, what ended up being his final full start I don't know what the intentions were with him after that, but the last time he pitched more than three and a third was on May 14th. Uh, he went five innings against the Cardinals. Wasn't good. He uh, gave up four earned runs, walked three. In his next outing, I'm assuming that was a start. He only went uh, two and a third. Gave up just one. Earned run, but five overall, so I'm guessing the defense wasn't good that game. He also walked three that game, though, and uh, his first start of May walked four. So the dude was a mess. The dude was just a complete mess right from the get-go and never never got a footing on anything, not even briefly, like, like Garrett Whitlock had for four to six starts. Kluber never had a run like that it was just he just got massacred right from the beginning his worst start was uh i'm assuming it was a start june 8th against the guardians three and one third gave up 11 hits seven earned so hmm. he only made three more appearances after that Mike, any other thoughts on kluber
1: yeah just to connect to what you both said jason you said that you know, he would have been a back-end starter. And I think that's what we all kind of envisioned him being. But you don't make your opening day starter a back-end starter. You know what I mean? Like, that doesn't add up. So I think when Bloom brought him in and the fact that they made him the opening day starter, they expected a whole lot more out of Corey Kluber. And I just think that just goes to show you just the complete miss on Corey Kluber because I think the best case scenario was for him to be a back end starter and in kind of an innings eater but he was the opening day starter has there ever been an opening day starter who has had a 7 plus era and, and he's made you know at least 5 the you know he's made uh he made 9 starts so has there ever been an opening day starter that's had a 7 plus era in a season that's made at least 8 starts like i just would be i'm sure it has happened but that just is wild to me that he had that bad of a year and he was the game one starter.
0: Yeah, and some of that had to do with injury and stuff. But I agree, it was a weird scenario where all of a sudden it was, oh, Corey Kluber's a nice piece, and you know, okay, let's let's see if he brings anything to. He's your opening day starter. It's like, what? <laughs> that that's the guy we're trotting out there on opening day. Okay, like it, it was it was weird and it was a bad fit from the start and just a complete disaster. So um, I I don't know what, what happens with him if he tries to pitch again next year. I just hope wherever it is, it's not here if, if that's the case. So uh, so real quick, this has been a fairly negative episode. We understand that. Look, it's been a long season. We had to air out some grievances. But we're going to leave you guys real quick with a little bit of positive to take away. Uh, we got inspired by The Athletic, who recently published an article basically naming an MVP for all every team in baseball, even teams that won't be in the playoffs, much like the Red Sox. So we decided that we would each pick our particular MVP for the 2023 Boston Red Sox. So um, I'm going to go ahead and just get the ball rolling here and I'll, I'll give you mine right up, right out of the shoot. Uh, I'm going with Chris Martin. Chris Martin is my 2023 Red Sox MVP. This is a guy who was brought in to help bolster your bullpen you know, I put him in the very slim uh, win category for High and Bloom and his signings. Chris Martin was dynamite out of the bullpen. And there were some questions early on, you know, when when he was signed, uh, you know, I sort of said, OK, good. But he's he's up there, you know, age 36, 37. So does he still have it? He had a great 2022 with the Dodgers. But can he repeat that? Turns out he didn't just repeat it. He bettered it. He, he was phenomenal. This season, Uh, as of this recording, 55 games, four and one record, 1.05 ERA. Chris Martin has only given up six runs all season long. That's how good he's been as your bridge guy to Kenley Jansen. So, um, you know, it's weird to say that a relief pitcher is your MVP, but you won so many games this year because of Chris Martin, because not only just, him setting up Jansen, but the, the games where Jansen couldn't go and Martin had to fill in in the ninth inning, he did that. You know, he, he had three saves on the year. So um, val- very valuable signing. He's under contract for next year as well, which is great. So they can run it back with him again. Um, he was phenomenal. He was locked lockdown reliever. And, you know, again, that's why we talked about it earlier, Terry. You mentioned it. Like, if the starting rotation hadn't been as taxed, and you didn't have to bring in bullpen guys in the fifth, sixth innings, and you were just able to, you know, get to that eighth, ninth inning bridge every time, the Red Sox would be in such a better place. And Chris Martin was a huge part of that. So very good signing. um, Awesome, awesome player. Glad he's going to be back next year. That's my pick for the 2023 MVP. Micah, who's your pick?
1: I'm going with Justin Turner, and uh, this was a guy who kind of got off to a little bit of a slow start. He only had two home runs and nine RBIs through the month of April. Um, And I remember some people wondering, eh, he's 38. Is he kind of done? But boy, oh boy, is he just a really good hitter. And he ended with 96 RBI, and it just seemed like he has such a knack for the, the big hit. Seemed like he always was coming up with a two-out RBI single. His swing was just built for Fenway. And he played 142 games, and that just shows the durability of this guy. He did have that foot injury, but you know they, they said that he would have been immediately on the IL if it probably happened in the beginning of the year, but he just wanted to keep playing and fight it. And I just appreciated um, the effort and the fact that he – Just grind it every single day, and he gives you professional at-bats. So Justin Turner is my MVP. I have no idea if he'll be back next year. I I would probably put it at 80-20, 80%. He's not coming back. But I'm sure glad that the Red Sox fans got to see how good of a player Justin Turner is because he spent most of his career on the West Coast when people on the East coast are usually getting ready for bed or in bed already. So I'm, I'm glad that people got a chance to see just how good he really is.
0: Sorry. You got,
2: so I am going with Brian Bayo. And the reason why is because, I mean, he was unequivocally the best starter you had there. There was nobody else that made a, a significant impact and because of his last two starts giving up you know 12 earned runs I think it was or actually I think it was 13 earned runs his ERA has gone over four at this point so the final numbers won't look sexy but but if it weren't for him we're like you don't even win 70 w- without Brian Bayo. and They've won his record for the year uh, is 12 and 10, but the Red Sox have won 17 out of his 27 starts, regardless of whether he got the decision or not. So take out the last two starts that were terrible. It's it's 17 out of 25. So that's phenomenal. I mean, I'll take that from Brian Baio every single year of his career if he can just help you win that many games to keep you in contention. So I think I'm giving it to him, despite the fact that the numbers don't look super glossy.
0: I agree. Yeah. And it's nice to know that at least two of those guys will be back with the team next year. Justin Turner, I wish could be back. Um, You know, I, I kind of agree with you, Mike. I think he's gone. I think we may have seen his, Fenway farewell, Um, but we'll see. You you never know. You never know how the offseason will will shake out. So uh, with that, we will wrap this up. Uh, Keep an eye out for our Bastards series prediction show, the last one of the season, unfortunately, which feels weird to say, but uh, yeah, we'll be previewing that or predicting that final Orioles series this weekend. Uh, That'll be available for your evening commutes. And then on Friday, we'll have our, Bastard's Roundtable episode. We'll be talking about Alex Cora, his role next year. He did say he'll be back, didn't exactly say how. So we'll break that down, break down uh, the front office moves and what else we think will shake out throughout the offseason. So that'll be available on Friday. And then, of course, the weekend crew will have you guys next week to recap the final series of the year against the Baltimore Orioles. So everyone have a great weekend, and we will see you later. Take care.